Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today, and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. How many of you, um, let's see, was it the, the Sound of Music, I think was the movie? Que um, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Let's all join in and sing. No, just. Um, but that's the title of our message this morning, The Que sera, sera Life. Now, what is que sera, sera, what does that refer to? Whatever will be, will be. Now, how many of you grew up believing que sera, sera? You, you, you know, you grew up believing whatever will be, will be. You know, we are, we are correcting some erroneous theology. And... Um, you know, I want us to understand that, uh, you know, we, we've all heard people say, well, if, if it's God, it'll happen. And if it's not God, well, it won't happen. Now, how many of you have ever had something happen to you? You can give me a show of hands on this, but you ever had something happen to you that you were pretty sure was not God. You know, how many of you, maybe it didn't happen to you, maybe you observed something happening that was not God. Okay. You, you saw something going on in your world, you saw something going on around you that was not the will of God. Now, when, when we look around and, and, you know, that really becomes an excuse for just allowing any old thing in, in, that, that the devil wants to do. You know, the, God's not the only one doing stuff. There, there is an enemy in this world that likes to mess with you. And... He has a purpose, and that is to mess up your life, to destroy you. Now, let's look at this. Uh, you know, some people say, well, if it was meant to be, you know, and, and you're saying, well, you know, I, I, I've got this dream, as BC was talking about in their lesson this morning, he said, I've got this dream. And somebody will invariably say, 
Well, if it's meant to be, it will be. If it was meant to be, or if something goes wrong and what you dreamed of doesn't happen, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. What does that actually mean? Wasn't meant to be. Or, you know, if it's meant to be. What exactly does that mean anyway? You know, and uh, so, you know, the implication is that if God wants it to happen, it will happen. If God doesn't want it to happen, then there's no way it's going to happen. But I'm going to blow a hole in that theory today, okay? Anybody ready? You know, if, you've, if you have held on to that belief, just go ahead and get ready to, to get rid of that kind of thinking because we're going to blow that, that theory away today, and we're going to do it with Scripture. We're going to do it with the Bible. Praise God. And so let me give you some Bible examples of some things that happened that God didn't want to happen, that were not the will of God. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 16 says, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now let me ask you this question. Did God want them to eat of that tree? How do we know that? Because he said, don't eat of it. He said, don't eat of it. So therefore, he obviously did not want them to eat of it. Did they eat of it? Yes, they did. So something happened that God did not want to happen. Now, furthermore, let's let's look at this verse again. He said, in the day that you eat of it, if you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Did God want them to die? How do we know? We know he didn't want them to die because he told them not to do the thing that caused them to die. You know, if he wants them to die, then... Just don't tell them. If he wanted them to die, why wouldn't he just say, you guys go ahead and eat of that tree over there. He told them don't eat of it because he did not want them to die. But they ate of it and they died that day. they, They died Spiritually that day. They did not physically yet until many, many years later, but they did die spiritually that day. They became separated from the life of God. God didn't intend for that to happen. God didn't want that to happen, but it happened. But isn't God in control? Anybody ever heard that one? Anybody ever say that one? 
You don't have to answer. Well, God's in control. Well, if God is controlling everything, then we would have to say he was controlling that situation, right? We would have to say that God, if God's controlling everything, then it must have been God that made them eat of that tree. Even though he said don't. There are things that are going on and happening every single day in our world that God does not want to happen. Now, Adam and Eve ate of the tree that it was not meant for them to eat of. It was not for them to eat of. You say, well, what was that tree meant for then? What, What was it there for? It was there to give them the power of choice. Had there been no tree that was off limits, then they would have had no choice. No power of choice. And if they had no power of choice, then they would not have been in the image and likeness of God. Now, let's look at this. Genesis 3, verse number 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he Eight. So something happened right there that was not the will of God, that was not the plan of God that he did not intend for them to do, but it happened. Now when we just, when we, see the problem when we accept that philosophy of whatever will be, will be, when we start singing K Sarah, Sarah, we just allow things that God never intended to happen into our lives. And then a problem we, we tend to then turn around and blame it on God. It's all God's fault. He let this happen. No. He let you make the decision and you let it happen. Now, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Notice this. Notice what he says. He is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he clearly tells us right here what he is not willing that, or what is not his will. And he clearly tells us what is his will. Now, Revelation chapter 20, verse number 15, says this. If anyone and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake 
of fire. That sounds like perishing, right? That, do you agree with that? It sounds like perishing to me. So there are some that will be cast into the lake of fire, meaning that some will perish. But he clearly said he is not willing that any should perish, but yet some will perish. We know that. We, he, he clearly says his, he is willing that all should come to repentance. Yet every single one of us know people who will not repent. Now, so if these things happen that are not the will of God and other things don't happen that are the will of God, don't you think it would be to our advantage to find out what His will is and find out how to get His will to happen and to prevent what is not His will from happening? How do you find that out? How do you know what his will is? How many, you know, a whole lot of people pray this way. If it be your will, you know, they, they pray this great prayer, you know, and then they end the prayer by saying, if it is your will or if it be your will. Well, Lord, you know, we want so-and-so to, to, for their, their body, they need healing in their body. If it's your will. Lord, we know, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, so-and-so, we're, we're just praying and agreeing with them. You see, that's, that's another thing altogether, agreeing with them. A lot of times we say we're agreeing and we're not in agreement at all. But, you know, we're just praying with so-and-so and agreeing with them that, that their wayward children will come back to the Lord if it be your will. How many think if somebody's got wayward children that it would be the will of God that they come back to the Lord? You know, he said he's not willing that any should perish. And if they don't come to the Lord, they're going to perish. So why would we then say, if it be your will? Because a lot of times we have no idea what the will of the Lord is. The Apostle Paul told the, the Ephesians, he says, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, discerning what the will of the Lord is. In other words, he said it's wise to find out what the will of the Lord is. Because if you don't find out what the will of the Lord is, how can you cooperate with the will of the Lord? You know, it's, it's important that we know what His will. You cannot pray a, a faith-filled prayer unless you know what the will of the Lord is. It's impossible. 
You can't have faith in a maybe. I mean, think, think about that. Can, can you have faith in maybe? No. All right, I, I usually do this with a, uh, with a coin. I don't have a coin in my pocket, but here's what I have in my pocket. I've got a, I've got a lifesaver in my pocket, so we're going to do this with a lifesaver. All right, so you see that I had a lifesaver in my pocket, so you, I, I'm going to, I'm showing you this. Now, I'm going to put it back in my pocket, okay? Uh, you saw me put it back in my pocket. So here, here's what we're doing. I'm reaching in my pocket, putting my hand in my pocket, and I'm pulling out a closed hand. Now, let me ask you the question. Do I have a lifesaver in my hand? How many say I have a lifesaver in my hand? Okay, we've got a couple people that say I have a lifesaver in my hand. How many say I do not have a lifesaver in my hand? Okay, we've got more people that say I don't. Now, I'm going to ask both of those who, uh, let, me, let me ask one more third question. How many say, I have no idea if you have a lifesaver in your hand or not? Okay. You, you, all right. Those of you who said, I have a lifesaver in my hand, somebody be real bold and answer me this question then. How do you know? No, I didn't say that. I said I put it back in my pocket, which I did. How many say I, that, that said I do not have a lifesaver in my hand? How do you know? You don't know. The ones that said I don't know, I have no idea, those are the only ones that are telling the truth. Okay. No, you didn't believe me. You believed it was, you, here's what you knew. Let me, let me clarify this, all right? This is a little tricky thing here. Let, let me clarify. I said, I showed you that I had a lifesaver. And I said, I put it back in my pocket, which I did. Then I put my hand in my pocket again and I took my hand out again, and all I told you was I have a closed hand. You don't know if there's anything in my hand or not, because I didn't tell you. The only thing you know is it's possible. I could have. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. But here's the thing. Those of you, you know, you, you just... I'll say it this way, you lucked out and got the right answer. <laughs> Sorry. All right. I also happen to have another one, so. So it's still possible that I could put my hand in my pocket and pull out a lifesaver. So this time I'm going to put my hand in my pocket. 
and I'm going to pull out a lifesaver. I do have a lifesaver in my hand. Now, how many of you say I have a lifesaver in my hand? Okay, some of you still don't believe. <laughs> oh, thou, wh you know, wherefore did you doubt? <laughs> okay, you know it's possible, but now you have my word to go along with it, which you did not have before. Now you have my word, and your word turned out to be correct. All right? So here's the, here's the deal. A lot of times we don't know because we don't have God's word on something. We know, oh, I believe God can do anything. You know, he certainly has the ability to do it, right? He has the ability to do anything he wants to do. But there are certain things that he said, and because he said it, he will not go against his word. Now, let me tell you one more, one more thing here. I am going to put my hand in my pocket, and I am going to bring out a lifesaver. Okay, so I did what I told you I was going to do. I put my hand in my pocket. I pulled out a lifesaver. <laughs> here you go, teeny. You need this one. Come here, dude. There you go, sir. <laughs> but, the, you know, the, the, the thing is, that when we have the Word of God, then we can have faith. If we don't have His Word, we cannot have faith. Nobody, when I pulled my hand out and did not tell you what I had in it or didn't have in it, no one could answer that question with assurance. No one could answer that question with faith. Because you didn't have my word. This is why Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ. It's when you have the word. So if we are basing, well, if it was meant to be or if it was not meant to be, and we base our opinions and, and our views on a whole bunch of maybes. It could be. It's possible. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Whatever will be, will be. You see, that's what happened the first time. I put my hand in my pocket and I pulled a closed hand out. Well, whatever will be, will be. And many people are walking through life not knowing anything about what God said. This is why we have to be students of the Word of God. Because we cannot cooperate with what God is as with, with what God has said if we don't know what He said. We have to be students of the Word of God. Now, 
we have seen that many things happen. You know, if you walk out in the street this afternoon and you get hit by a drunk driver and you die on your way to the hospital, was that the will of God? You know, well, God must have wanted that guy to get drunk. He must have wanted him to drive in that condition. God must have wanted... You see, we start blaming all kinds of things on God that God had nothing to do with. It was a man's decision to get drunk. It was a man's decision to get behind the wheel of an automobile and to drive in that condition. And it was your decision, maybe unknowingly, but nonetheless, it was your decision to walk out in the street. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm just saying it was a decision you made to walk out in the street. And so, you know, we, we have a world that is full of things that are not the will of God. Now, here's the question. Is there anything or any part that we have to do with preventing what is not the will of God, and cooperating with what is the will of God? Or are we just in a, you know, well, it's just, if it was meant to be, it will be. You know, was there anything we can do to change that? Let me tell you a story. I'm going to have to, um, in... John, the 11th chapter, there's a story there about a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus was Jesus' friend, and Jesus was ministering in Lazarus' hometown, Bethany, and the Jews got upset with Jesus, and so they were trying to stone him to death. And so Jesus left town, and he went away to a place called Bethabara on the Jordan River. It was the place where, where, John, where, where Jesus himself had been baptized by John in the Jordan River. And Jesus went there. Because they were, you know, in Bethany, they were seeking to stone Jesus. So he goes away. While he is away, Lazarus gets sick. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, were, were friends. They were family friends with Jesus. And so uh, Mary and Martha say, well, if Jesus were here, Lazarus, you know, Jesus would just heal him and all would be good. But we don't know where Jesus went. He left. He went away. So they send messengers to go and find Jesus. Well, in the meantime, while the messengers are gone to find Jesus, Lazarus dies. Now, Jesus, they, they find Jesus, 
And they tell him, Lazarus is sick. Because when they left, he was just sick. And so they say, Lazarus is sick, you know, would you come and heal him? Well, Lazarus is already dead. They just don't know it. Jesus stays, the Bible says he stays two more days in Bethbara. And many have said, well, he stayed two more days to allow Lazarus to die. But I can prove to you by the timelines in the scripture. If we sit down and if I were to draw it up here on a whiteboard for you, I could prove to you from the timelines that are mentioned in the scriptures that in fact Lazarus was already dead by the time Jesus got the word that he was sick. So it's impossible that Jesus stayed two days there to let Lazarus die. Jesus stayed two days there, and there's more to the, there, there's a lot of reasons why and, and, and lessons that we can learn from that. But, but nonetheless, you know, Jesus hears that Lazarus is dead and, or, or that he's sick, and he tells, uh, he tells his disciples, he says, let's go to Lazarus. He says, Lazarus is sleeping. And they say, well, so we're going to go wake him up? And, you know, they think he's taking a nap. And uh, so Jesus tells them plainly, he says, Lazarus is dead. He's already died. And so Jesus goes to where Lazarus was. And when he gets there, he finds out Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. And Jesus comes, and the Bible says that, uh, you know, Jesus goes to the place where the tomb is, and he says to uh, Mary and Martha, they come out, and they say, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Jesus says, you know, if you'll believe, you can see the glory of the Lord. And he says, "Uh, I am, he says, Lazarus will live again. And they say, well, you know, we know he'll live again in the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And then he cries out with a loud voice, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave in his grave clothes. And so, in any case, you know, many people look at that, And they said, well, Jesus let this happen for a mysterious reason. No, Jesus was away and Lazarus died. Jesus didn't let Lazarus die for a mysterious reason. Now, see, here's the deal. Lazarus is in Bethany. Jesus is in Bethbara. It's about a day's journey from Bethbara to Bethany. So keep that in mind, one day. Now, if Jesus is one day away, but Lazarus, you know, he, he's, um, 
they send word to Jesus, it takes them at least one day to get to Jesus. If it took Jesus one day to get back, it took them at least one day to get to Jesus. So now we're at two days, right? Okay? And so he receives the word. We're at two days. But we get back to Bethany. So at a minimum, it's been two days. At a minimum. Could be more, but it's been a minimum of two days. Jesus gets to Bethany, and he finds out Lazarus has been dead how many days? Four days. Jesus waited two days. So we got two, day, two travel days and two days that he waited. So we're at four days. We find out that Lazarus was, you know, just do the math, Lazarus was already dead. But you see, we go through the Bible sometimes finding these situations like this, and because we don't study it out and put the effort in it to find out what really happened, we draw some wrong conclusions. And we think that, well, it was Jesus' will for Lazarus to die. That's why he waited two days. No, Lazarus was already dead. And so by the time Jesus got the news, Lazarus was already dead. And so in any case, what we've, uh, when we begin to approach the Word of God looking for an excuse for something, we can usually find it. But if we begin to look for the truth, we can find that too. I'll give you another example. The Apostle Paul, Second Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Paul talks about how that he said, I knew a man 14 years ago, whether in the, in the body or out of the body, I don't know, only God knows, who was caught up into the third heaven, and there he heard inexpressible things which it is not lawful for a man to utter. And because of the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And people jump on that, and they say, see, God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. Now, where did Paul attribute the thorn in the flesh to God? Where did Paul ever say, God gave me a thorn in the flesh? He didn't say that. He said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And then he tells us, people say, well, we don't know what the thorn was. Well, we know, and then some think they do know what the thorn was, and they say he had an eye disease. Neither one of which can be supported. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, and then he says a messenger of Satan. So when did God start giving messengers of Satan? You know, did God ever give someone a messenger of, a sign, a messenger of Satan to someone? No. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Well, he had an eye disease. 
And they, one reason they give for saying that Paul had an eye disease is because they say, well, Paul, you know, in Galatians, he says, at the end of, of the book of Galatians, he says, see with what large letters I write to you. That was because he had an eye disease. Now, you've got to stretch a long way to get there. Long way. He says, see with what large letters I write to you. Literally, if you'll study that out, he didn't even say with, large, with what large letters I write to you. He says, see how I pressed on the pen and I have written to you with bold letters. The reason he says with bold letters is to emphasize not because he couldn't see what he was writing. He says, with what le large letters or what bold letters I have written to you to emphasize, I want you to get this. This is the most important thing I have to say, and I want you to get this. That's literally what Paul said in Galatians, when he said, with what large letters I write to you. Now, oh, but you know, Paul was, you know, uh, he says, with, with infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. See, there's the eye disease. Once again, you got to stretch a long ways to get there. He says, with, you know, through great infirmity, I have written to you. Uh, you know, or I, uh, excuse me, with great infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first, is, is what he said. <clears throat> the fact that he says at first means that he didn't have infirmity at the end. Do you see that? If I, if I said, well, you know, when I first got here, I was not feeling very good. Well, that implies that now I am feeling just fine. Paul says, I preached the gospel through infirmity at first, and you received me. And if you could have plucked out one of your own eyes and given it to me, you would, ah, oh, there we go. I've got an eye disease. People are trying so hard to get this eye disease, you know. That's like saying, you know, you'd have given me your right arm. If you could have, you'd have given me your right arm. Does that mean there's something wrong with my arm? No. It's a figure of speech saying that, you know, if it would have helped me, you'd have given your right arm to help me. If it would have helped. But it wasn't the arm I needed. You know, it was I needed you to help me. You see, people are trying so hard. And the reason they do this is because... They have the kesara mentality, whatever will be, will be. If God wants it to happen, see, he'll give 
Paul an eye disease to keep him from getting puffed up in pride. If, if God wanted it to happen, then it would happen. But if he didn't want it to happen, it won't happen. You see, when we pick out scriptures like that and we try to use those scriptures, John chapter 9 is another example. And I probably shouldn't, I probably ought to quit with these. But, uh, you know, in John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man named Bartimaeus. He was known as blind Bartimaeus. Wouldn't that be a great thing to be known as? You know, blind Bartimaeus. But, but Bartimaeus, uh, you know, it says in John chapter 9, he was born blind. And the disciples wanted to know, well, whose fault is it that he was born blind? Was it his fault? Which I find that hard to believe that, you know, that how could it be his fault if he was born that way? So anyway, it, it was a, his sin that caused him to be born blind or his parents' sin. Jesus says this. He says, neither his sin nor his parents' sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the will of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Well, see there? God gave him, caused him to be born blind so Jesus could come along and heal him. Is God schizophrenic? You know, doesn't God have better things than to give you something that, so that Jesus, like there wasn't enough sickness in the world? We, you know, there, there, there wasn't enough sickness for Jesus to heal, so I'm going to make this man blind so Jesus can come heal him. Ridiculous. You want to know what Jesus actually said? And the, and the key to this, in that passage of Scripture, there is some misplaced punctuation. And what Jesus actually said, he didn't say, you know, Bartimaeus was born blind so that the works of God could be revealed in him. Yeah. What Jesus said was, Bartimaeus was born blind. Wasn't his fault? Wasn't his parents' fault. Wasn't either one of them sin that he was born blind. Now, their question was, was it his sin or his parents' sin that he was born blind? So when Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sin, had Jesus answered their question? Yes. Put a period right there. Now he makes another statement. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me. And what did he do? He opened his eyes. The works of him who sent me was to restore sight to the blind. Now, we know that's true because what did uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captives, the opening of prisons to those who are, uh, are, are bound, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn in Zion, and so on. 
And he's telling all the works of him who sent me to open the eyes of the blind, to, to you know, we, we find all the works of him who sent him. And that's what Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me. You see, my point being today, the reason I haven't really taught these in detail but have kind of rushed through them was because my, my primary point today is that you see that you need to find out what the will of God is. You need to find out what he said. Praise God. And these things like this that people take out of the scriptures, it's because they, are, they, they have either bought into something that somebody else has told them or they're looking for an excuse for what they're you know, why would somebody, it'd be easier to believe in healing than to believe the excuse, right? Does anybody see that? It'd be easier to believe in healing than to believe some of the excuses that you cannot find substantiated in Scripture. If you do not study the Word of God, you'll fall for these kinds of things. And if you fall for these kinds of things, you will not walk in God's best for your life. Because if it's the will of God, wouldn't you be trying to get more in the will of God? You know? Why would we be trying to get people healed when God's trying to make people sick? Why, why would we have prayer for the sick if it's the will of God for them to be sick? You know, um, Mark chapter 9, verse number 23, Jesus made this statement. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, what did Jesus not say? Jesus did not say, if it's the will of God, all things will work out if it's the will of God. It's not what he said. He said all things are possible to him who believes believes. So, in other words, if it's the will of God, it might not really happen unless I believe. That's what I'm saying. If it's the will of God, doesn't mean it's automatically going to happen. We already showed it's His will that nobody perishes, but some will perish. It's his will that all come to repentance, but not everybody comes to repentance. It's the will of God that every person on this planet be healthy. Yeah, that, uh, I, no matter what somebody told you, it's God's will for you to be healthy. Praise God. Now, 
all things are possible to him who believes. Praise God. Now, Romans chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the will of God for you to be saved. But there's something on your part. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then salvation is activated in your life. Jesus went to the cross and paid for your sins 2,000 years ago. He, he paid for all of your sins, but the forgiveness of sin is not activated in your life until you believe what Jesus did about it. And the same thing is true for healing for your body. The same thing is true for provision for your material needs. Even though Jesus has provided all of that for you, yet it is activated in your life when you believe it and confess it with your mouth. Praise God. Nobody, but nobody is saved until they activate on a personal level what God did for them in Christ. Praise God. Praise God. Now, whoever, how many of you ever heard this one? Well, everything happens for a reason. And I'll have to say, yes, it does. But what they're implying when they say that is God does everything for a reason. And if God does it, it is for a reason. And everything does happen for a reason. But that's such a, a vague statement. Let's find well, what, what's the reason. That's what I want to know. You know, for a reason. Well, what's the reason? Let's find out what the reason is. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief, oh, so maybe he's doing something? The thief does something. He does not come except, so in other words, if he comes, this is the reason he is coming. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. So everything happens for a reason. Some things are not the work of God. Some things are the work of the thief. And he has a reason as well. He doesn't do anything without a reason. And his reason is always to steal from you to kill you, and to destroy you. That's what he comes for. He didn't come for any other reason. Jesus said this, I have come. He said, there's a reason why I come too. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So, if we're going to say everything happens for a reason, well, let's find out 
who's doing it first. And then let's find out what the reason is. Yeah, I mean, if we know who's doing it, we know what the reason is. If it steals, kills, or destroys, it's the thief. And that's the reason it's happening. If it's Jesus, then we know what the reason is. The reason is to bless your life, to give you life and that more abundantly. So just to say everything happens for a reason, well, that's a lay down, take a nap while everything, you know, falls apart around you. No, you need to get actively involved because who was it that God gave authority in the earth to? That's right. It was you. It was you. So, when the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, because you have authority, he can't kill, steal, and destroy from you unless you uh, cooperate. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Same thing. God, do you realize God abides by his own rules? When he said to Adam, have dominion in the earth for everything that creeps on the earth, he was serious, and he said, I'll abide by the rules too. And so Jesus has come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, but you must also cooperate with what Jesus did. That's why you can't get saved without your cooperation. That's why, you know, Jesus going to the cross, well, it was enough to pay for your sins, but it took your cooperation for you to be saved. Nobody gets saved without their permission. You see, what we do is give God permission to work in our lives. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, I've got to wrap up here. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Now, the word therefore, it means because of. Because I believe, I speak. Praise God. If I believe what God did in Christ, then I will speak accordingly. Praise God. So if I'm not speaking accordingly, maybe it's because I'm not believing. Praise God. We need to believe so we can cooperate with what God is doing. Praise God. Now, 
when we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we are giving God permission to save us personally. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world, but I've got to give him permission to save me personally. Praise God. How do I give him permission? I say with my mouth, I believe that you did this and that you did it for me. Praise God. So if you're watching today, if you're in this room or you're watching me online, right now, if you believe that Jesus went to the cross and paid for all of your sins so that you could be saved, Right now, I'm asking you to give God permission to save you personally. Praise God. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved because that's all the permission he needs. Praise God. So I want to ask everyone to pray this prayer with me right now. When we say amen, that means so be it. So when we say amen, if you believe what you've prayed, you will be saved instantly. Praise God. If you don't believe it, nothing will happen. Nothing will change. But if you believe it, you will be saved. So let's pray this together right now. Say, God in heaven, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me, that he paid for all of my sin so I could have new life. Right now, I choose to cooperate and I confess Jesus as my Lord. Jesus. I give you permission to save me personally. I choose you as my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us. And remember that God is madly in love.